The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more. Hello and welcome along. Thanks very much to Lucy Malazzo for the last couple of hours on home. Welcome to The Gadget Guide. Yeah, welcome to Gadget Guide show number 254 with the latest tech news and then we'll look at nothing. Phone 2. A bit of en vogue there here on Cambridge 105 Radio. You're listening to The Gadget Guide with Rob and Lawrence. Uh, we're going to be talking about nothing and their phone too. Yes, that is the uh, the manufacturer uh, in just a few minutes' time. First of all, though, it's time to take a look at this week's technology news. Uh, we'll start off in the world of Google, and they're making sharing stuff between your Android phone and your Windows PC a little bit easier, at least if you're on Windows 11. Yes, although the, the, this apparently has come out for Windows 10 as well, and this is the ability to do nearby share. This has been available in various pre-release variants across flavors of the Android operating system and from several manufacturers have used it between a couple of Samsung Galaxies, and it was great. Uh, no messing around trying to work out which chat app you'd like to actually share a photo between you and a friend. You just go nearby share, and it shows up your friend's phone, and you go dump the photo on them. All of it just magically happens. A bit of combination of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and, and stuff happens. So adding that to the Windows environment means that you will be able to very quickly get that content off your phone onto your Windows desktop or vice versa, which can be quite useful. And of course, all those Apple ecosystem users are going to be going, yeah, and <laughs> because, <laughs> of course, AirDrop has been a thing in the Apple world for a very long time. If you use an iPhone, an iPad, uh, a Mac, anything like that, then you have this effectively the same thing, the concept of being able to share a file or a photo or a document or what have you uh, with other Apple users that are in your proximity, um, either from phone to phone or phone to PC. Um, that's just been a thing in the Apple world. And something that's kind of been a bit absent from for, from the, the Google world and the Microsoft world um, until relatively yeah. recently. It, it is always a case of both camps playing catch up on things. I mean, Android had things like widgets and live lock screens from fairly early on, and it yes. took Apple uh, up until last year to catch up on a lot of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious that uh, these sort of features will play catch up between platforms. And when one side develops something new, the other side will be looking at it and working out how to copy it without getting sued for patent infringement. Uh, and of course, the <laughs> um, you know, in, in the Windows world, Microsoft have been bringing more and more of the sort of Android features into the Windows ecosystem as well. Um, a lot more sort of phone link and, and that kind of thing, allowing you to run some Android apps on Windows on the desktop PC. Um, or stream them to your PC. Exactly, yeah, run them on your phone, but interact with them on your on your computer. You can now get at your text messages and, and so on on your PC as well. So maybe not too surprising that those two are being tied up. No sign, of course, of any uh, compatibility between Apple devices and Android devices in either direction. I don't think either manufacturer is... Uh, uh, is going to make the first move on that for uh, at least the near future. Yeah, the only collaboration we saw was on pandemic plague tracking um, between the two camps because it made sense. And we're now seeing thoughts about whether they're going to get um, uh, things like air tags and tile t tags and these uh, device trackers that you can attach to your luggage or your keys or whatever 
coexisting between the two environments because I think they're recognizing it's something that is valuable to people and shouldn't really hamper you on which platform you are on. Yep, definitely. And especially if you've got different family members on, on different platforms. Uh, yes. Sticking with uh, with Google for a, a moment, this, this was an interesting uh, headline that caught my eye. Uh, Google is apparently experimenting, though of course well-known as one of the major internet companies, uh, with removing the internet from some of their staff PCs. Uh, let that one sink in for a moment. Um, it is an experiment at this stage. It's only applying to about 2% uh, of their workforce, and it's not not completely disconnected, you will still get access to, unsurprisingly, the Google tools, uh, the Google Office software, and uh, so on. Um, but the idea is that, um, generally speaking, you won't have access to the broader web unless your job requires it. Uh, the idea Interesting. Behind, the idea behind this is very much a security-focused one. Um, clearly, there is, as well as a lot of really great stuff on the internet, there is also some bad things. Um, and presumably, they're, they're taking the view that a bunch of their workforce simply don't need to get at the internet to do their jobs. And I guess that's probably true. Um, you know, if you're working in software development, you probably do. Um, but if you're someone responding maybe to customer support queries where you've got a sort of a flow of tickets coming in, you need to respond to them. Maybe you don't need the internet access in order to do that. I, yeah, sidetracked by social media and things like that, possibly. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, save I that guess, for lunchtime yeah. and so on. Exactly, and most people are going to have a personal device, so yeah. maybe it's okay. Right, you do your personal browsing on that on your work device. It's it's just for work. I think it'll be really interesting to see how um uh, how, how it yeah. Goes I, th I think the security idea certainly holds water, and I think we could see a lot of companies going. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. We'll only allow business grade websites on our our work PCs and provide a separate network for staff to use those personal devices to do the social media, the surfing and so on, that is totally divorced from the company network. Of course, the challenge here is that more and more applications that many businesses use, and maybe Google is, is in a slightly different position because they probably control so much of their own ecosystem, but certainly many businesses, a lot of the business apps you use nowadays are websites and a lot of those websites are built on other bits of technology. So yeah. it's, it's not necessarily simple to say, well, we use Salesforce and we use Office 365. I'll only allow those two websites. Actually, each of those uses <laughs> tens, if not hundreds of, of other uh, software components and other web services behind the scenes. So to, to actually implement that is, is quite challenging. Uh, nonetheless, an interesting experiment. I, I do hope they publish the results. And I think it's going to be a case of if companies want to do this, they're going to have to do a lot of testing first Very much to so. make sure they don't effectively turn off the business. And and doing the right thing for the right job roles, because yes. different people doing different tasks are going to need different levels of access. And it is very it would be very easy to make uh, a lot of people, A, unhappy and B, very inefficient um, if you're not careful. So I think it's it needs to be done very carefully but perhaps there's some uh, some greens of interest in there. Yes, yes, something that we will, um, I'm sure, be talking about in the future. Uh, moving into an interesting element of security, and this is uh, the UK government is threatening a new 
Cybersecurity Bill. This is the Investigatory Powers Act IPA 2016 and some changes that the UK government is proposing for it, which will basically force providers of messaging systems and um, services that people can use to communicate to be unencrypted. Or at least to decrypt on request by by law enforcement. So yes. the idea here is that uh, yeah, if you take many of our favorite messaging services now, and that's true of pretty much all platforms apart from the the early days ones like SMS and email, um, but certainly your FaceTimes, your, um, your WhatsApps, your Telegrams, all of those are encrypted between your phone and my phone. The idea of this uh, bill is that on request, the police can say to Meta or Telegram or whoever, I need to see that message that Lawrence received because it's relevant to this investigation. Please decrypt it for me and, and provide it. The obvious argument for that is that if you do have active criminal investigations, you want to be able to gather intelligence, you want to be able to gather evidence, and you need to be able to do that. Um, you know, in in times gone by, you might you know, intercept people's posts uh, you know, with, with appropriate uh, warrants. You might go and search their house. Um, tap their analog phone tap, line. Tap their phone line, yeah. <laughs> uh, and all of those things were possible, but required some amount of effort and some amount of process. Actually, uh, you could you could tap mobile phone calls as well. In fact, I think that yes. is still a thing that can be done. Yeah, if it's if it's a plain by old, law enforcement. Uh, yes. Yeah, plain plain old phone call, you can. Um, the challenge here is that if you make it possible for one party to decrypt, then by definition, somebody else who compromises a system can also decrypt something. Um, and so the 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 challenge from, from many parties, we'll talk about some of that in a sec, um, is that by putting in a backdoor, you are risking the bad people getting in as well as the good people. Yes. At the same time, of course, doing things on a digital scale is probably on the whole less effort to do very broadly. So whereas before, if you wanted to tap someone's phone line, you had to physically go down to the phone exchange with the bits of wire and your tape recorder and, uh, and connect all of that up, you could maybe do that to a handful of people, but you couldn't do it to the whole country at once. It wasn't practical. Same, same with opening their post. Now, with digital services, it becomes pretty much as easy to do it for a million calls as it is for one call. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there is this risk of surveillance at scale and invasion of privacy at scale that wasn't a thing in uh, in the previous world. And so I think we're all recognising that voice recognition has got very good these days true. because and we've then all used search that. We've all used a digital assistant and said to it, "Hey, digital device, do a thing." And it's understood exactly what we want. Or we might have used Zoom or Teams and turned on the captioning and seen how it can in real time type what we are saying. Yep. Or YouTube, where the uh, person who created the video hasn't put captions on, but you can turn it on and, and YouTube's algorithm in the background is turning that speech into text. So very easy to then take all of those conversations that are happening and as voice, keywords. turn it into yeah text and search for... Um, uh, someone mentioning Christmas jumpers at number 10 Downing Street. Yeah, yeah. And, and th there, there are some some very real and very reasonable tensions um, for, from both sides. The The challenge, as, as we say, is is whether you want to, to weaken privacy and security for the vast majority of people who you're not investigating in return for 
the ability to gather evidence for a very small minority who you legitimately do need to yeah uh, to investigate and is, is and where the, that balance the, pro- sits. the problem is you 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 do this all it's going to do will mean that the people you're trying to catch out will go elsewhere with their communication and, and, this, and the rest of us yeah. are going to be exposed to you know in quotes lawful snooping um but the the miscreants that were wanting to be targeted by the law will be using a platform hosted in another country that might be eastern european and not actually care about the uk's laws uh, and this uh, is and and at the same time the the risk here is that if you enable uk government to make these requests what requests do you permit the uk government to make what requests do you permit another perhaps less friendly government to make who makes that call yes um yeah if if you say it's okay for uk law enforcement to to make these requests does that mean that any government anywhere in the world can do this who are you know who who yes who guards that process so it's a it's a very tough um tough situation to to get right as a consequence of this uh and this is this is the news item really um is that apple have basically said okay if this comes in in its current form then facetime and imessage are being withdrawn from the uk market they say that they will not uh support a service that puts their customers at risk uh, and it's very interesting and i think that would start a a flood if that actually came to pass i think you'd suddenly find microsoft saying well teams is not supported and zoom saying zoom is not supported because all of these technologies which are in use by big corporate names around the world expect end-to-end encryption yes uh, and yeah we we've already seen signal who are another uh, popular encrypted messaging service uh, saying they will not offer this service if they are required to make these compromises and um, facebook with whatsapp or yep. rather meta with whatsapp yeah so I, I think it'll it'll be an interesting one obviously those companies uh will not want to lose the uk markets they're very very lucrative for them um and so i suspect it's going to be a little bit of who blinks first or uh we'll see whether it's one of those things where you know the 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 easy thing is, well, of course they need to come to a compromise. Um, the the mathematical answer is, is a compromise possible, technically? Um, you know, can, can you sort of break it? Um, or is any compromise actually you know, too, too much of a, a risk? Um, I, I don't know. I Again, I think we need to see how this plays out. Yes, well, I think we'll be watching what the law does. I think the law is going to be challenged in lots of aspects and lots of arenas before it comes anywhere near being passed. Uh, Sticking with mobile networks and the law, uh, the UK's regulator Ofcom has uh, proposed a requirement for mobile networks operators so your your provider be it you know your vodafone your three your o2 maybe your tesco or your sainsbury's mobile to um have to tell you whether you are going to incur roaming costs before you get that surprise bill of exorbitant amounts this is interesting because i thought they already did certainly on my mobile network if i go to another country the first thing i do as soon as my phone comes on in that country is i get a text message saying if you use data you get this many gigabytes for this many pounds uh if you go over that then you pay this many pounds this many gigabytes it has been a thing that the networks have done if they felt like it 
So you're on a network who value its customers. Not all networks have done this, apparently. So Ofcom are trying to basically make it uh, the rule uh, so that consumers are not going to get unexpected charges. And it it impacts people more where there are closer borders. So we're talking the likes of the Irish border yes, and also the Channel Islands where you could be standing on a high point of the Isle of Man and find yourself suddenly in Northern Ireland, suddenly in the Republic and suddenly in the UK. Yep. And then uh, back on the Isle of Man and getting a charge for four different networks and rather a, lot, a high roaming cost. Uh, and what is interesting is that although my provider does send those text messages, uh, I spent a while traveling around Europe uh, recently and you know, used quite a bit of data over a few weeks. I reached my, uh, well, there there is a fair use limit on my plan. So if I go over a certain amount, then uh, it starts becoming chargeable. I got one text message saying I'd reached my new billing cycle and that my limit had been reset. Uh, then a couple of days later, I got another text message saying I've reached 80% and then 100% of that uh, that limit and I will be charged 0.3p a megabyte, followed by a second text message saying I will be charged 17 pence per, mega, uh, per megabyte. Hang on, those two things are 50 times different from each other. One of them is okay, <laughs> the other one is definitely not. Uh, I phoned them up and they said that both of them were wrong and the correct amount was one pence per megabyte. It turns out all three were wrong and that the billing cycle had reset and I, had, I wasn't charged anything. <laughs> yeah, if, if they're going to send this information, they do need to get it right and consumers need to be able to rely on those those numbers. My, my best bit of advice, them. if you travel internationally, turn off data. Just find hotel Wi-Fi and use that. Well, that's fine, but it, it, <laughs> Google Maps is quite useful for, uh, for um, navigation. Sa save maps for the area you're traveling to True. offline first. Yep. Um, yes, interesting, interesting. Where are we heading next? Uh, so the, the next one is, uh, is over to the US, and this is uh, a curious one, um, because we've probably all accidentally sent an email to, uh, to the wrong person and only realized after we'd uh, uh, hit, <laughs> hit the send button. Um, but it turns out the US military's had a, a particular problem with this. Um, their email addresses and domain names end in .mil, .mil. Uh, however, .ml, so one letter less, uh, is the uh, the top-level domain for the, the nation of Mali. Um, and it turns out there have been millions of emails sent to blah.ml instead of blah.mil. Over 10 years. Over 10 years. And it just happens that there is uh, a researcher um, who works at the, the currently Dutch-based uh, company that administers that .ml uh, domain for Mali, who has noticed, effectively captured, and then reported all of these emails to the US military. Uh, however, their contract comes up uh, you know, for, for the end of the contract fairly soon. Um, and then it gets handed back to uh, handed back to the government. Who well, the the, the Mali government get, get to decide who they would like to run that top yep. level domain, and if it falls into the hands of someone who might be um, less, less friendly less yeah. friendly with the US, it could mean that uh, basically the US military, and that includes the army, the navy, the yeah, anything dot mil, uh, has a bit of a security hole that they they can't do anything about. Yeah, uh, and. Yeah, the, the US military have acknowledged this. They have said this, 
doesn't affect uh, sort of top secret and classified, you know, highly classified information, that is sent via a different system. It doesn't go over the normal internet. Um, it's completely separate, which I, I believe it is. Um, however, even sort of relatively low levels of classification information, things like travel plans, you know, if if you know where U.S. personnel uh, are moving around, and one hundred and fifty can... of them are going to a place, there's a thing happening. Exactly, yes. exactly. That that could be valuable intelligence for uh, for somebody who uh, who wanted to capture such information. So, yeah. I I don't know what the answer is. Um, I I suspect that for for stuff that's meant to be internal to the military, it's probably easy. I suspect very few people in the U.S. military have a a reasonable need to send emails to Mali. Um, but outside providers, probably a little bit tougher to uh, to, to try and uh, deal with. Mm, certainly in the late 90s, I did get a chance to actually see some of the dot .mil messaging systems and how much more secure and different they were to conventional email. They were using 2048-bit encryption. Yes, that's quite a lot more than we use for our average banking transactions. Heading on from uh, for, from other security matters uh, into into the world of entertainment, and Netflix um, is killing off its uh, its cheapest plan. So this, this was the uh, the Netflix Basic plan it used to cost uh, seven pound a month, um, but they're basically ditching that in preference for either the standard plan that's currently eleven pound a month, or the with ads plan which is £5 a month. So you can either pay a bit more or a bit less, but get ads. Yes. They're not killing the plan for people who are already on the plan. So if you are on the £6.99 plan, yep, you, you can, can stay. stay on it. You cannot change your plan at all. Uh, the plan will become void if you try to change it. But no one else can sign up to that plan anymore. Yes. Uh, they, they're do, doing this across their markets around the world. So the cheapest plan is going away everywhere at the moment. Uh, interestingly, that we've spoken in previous weeks about Netflix um, cracking down on password sharing uh, between people in different households. Um, yeah, that that forms part of this thing. They have seen huge numbers of new signups um, yes. since implementing those changes, um, and obviously anyone that is signing up now, uh, having been kicked out of their uh, their, their best friend's <laughs> account, um, is going to have to choose one of those new style plans as well. Yes. Uh, sticking with entertainment and gaming and uh, the Pokemon uh, gaming platform product range has released a new app and it's Pokemon Sleep. It's just been released for iOS and Android. It is available in the UK app stores on both platforms and it's a sleep tracker. Okay, I assumed it was just one with all your Pikachu sort of gently snoring in the corner and it seems like no, the easiest game to develop. Snorlax is sleeping overnight. Oh. Um, yes, uh, it is a sleep tracker. It's a cross between a sleep tracker and an idle game. Um, so it will tell you what your sleep quality is like. It has a whole lot of in-app purchasing and stuff around getting details about your sleep quality. It it sounds very gimmicked. The reviews are not great. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, lots of com complaints about the screen stays on, the screen is quite bright, the um, uh, gentle sounds to put you to sleep are too loud. I'm guessing they might sort might a bunch a of those things yeah. out. Yes, yes. If you're a Pokemon fan, go and have a look at Pokemon Sleep. You might enjoy it. You might hate it. 
Don't blame it's us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sticking in the gaming world, uh, Nell and uh, Blizzard, um, the, uh, the very large game studio, are, uh, are finally coming to Steam. So if you're a PC gamer, you will have heard of Steam. It's pretty much the, uh, the largest gaming uh, platform and store uh, on the PC. Uh, but up until now, Blizzard has been notable by its absence. Yeah, they've had their own um, gaming platform store play via the app type uh, platform from fairly early days, but uh, yeah, have, as you said, been notably absent from Steam. So they will be coming to Steam. Uh, their first game that is arriving on Steam will be Overwatch 2. It'll be landing on the 10th of August, and other titles will follow, but they haven't said what and when yet. Yes, This could be part of... Um, Microsoft trying to sweeten regulators and approvers around the possible acquisition of Blizzard by making it look a little bit more open. Yes, to... not just on their own platform, but yes. also, yeah. Watch this yeah. space on that one. Uh, heading into the world of AI, artificial intelligence now, and uh, <laughs> of course, everyone's doing it. Apple are now working on their AI system. Um, this joins, of course, Google with Bard and OpenAI stroke Microsoft with uh, ChatGPT and Bing Chat. Microsoft, of course, launching Bing Chat Enterprises, the business chatbot. No, it's not Clippy in another in, uh, it information. Is, it is, it's absolutely. Totally it, it, um, will, <laughs> it will help you write your emails for you and everything. Um, no, so Apple, of course, are looking at this because their voice assistant, we won't say her name, it, uh, it sounds like... Um, yeah, it sounds like um, going Silly. on a safari. Going on a safari. Um, anyway, she is possibly feeling a little bit left in the dark by uh, improvements in these chat model uh, platforms doing a better job of answering questions in real time. So I think uh, Apple are wanting to see if they can do their own AI on the back end and boost Siri. Uh, and of course, Apple have in recent years very much touted their kind of privacy credentials. Um, the, at the same time, the AI market at the moment has a lot of concern around privacy. Um, and so Apple, no doubt, you know, just trying to feel their way down that fine line between helping their consumers, but at the same time, not getting them concerned about privacy and losing what they they probably see as a competitive advantage at the moment you know, of, of people trusting Apple with their data. Um, I suspect they don't want to throw that away, but at the same time, they need to keep up with the competition. Tell you one thing I did find quite useful with one of these uh, ChatGPT or Google Bard platforms, I won't say which one, was I found a video that was in German and I wanted basically a transcription of it and I basically said, please transcribe this pasted url to a video clip into english and about four seconds later i had the entire thing transcribed in english interesting and very it was good. it was pretty darn accurate very good um sticking with ai for a second there's some interesting research done uh recently on gpt4 this is the latest uh language model by the open ai uh group they're backed by Microsoft and uh, and others, um, but testing the, the performance in GPT-4 over time. And interestingly, those studies have shown that it has got worse over the last few months. So oh. they, gave it, they gave it a whole load of problems, 500 problems, um, where uh, basically the model had to figure out whether a number was a prime number. Uh, back in March, 
it correctly answered 488 of those 500. Uh, in June, it answered 12 out of 500 uh, correctly. What has gone wrong? Uh, indeed. Uh, and this is the question. And the, the question is, what what's gone wrong? But also, how do we know that that's what's happened? Um, the current working theory seems to be that effectively they have changed the way that the model works to make it cheaper to use. So it hasn't got more stupid. It hasn't, you know, hasn't forgotten things, the, the sort of human traits that we'd imagine. Um, but what's uh, what's reckoned to be happening is effectively it takes a question that you send it and tries to figure out which little subset of its knowledge base um, to, to give that problem to. Uh, and each of those subsets is an expert or you know, is, is trained on one set of problems. If you get rooted to the wrong the, the wrong expert. So if um, you gave a maths question to someone who's good at Shakespeare, you're going, exactly, to, get, you're going uh, to get a bad uh, answer. A bad, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and of course, you know, if you if you think about that, uh, hiring someone who's good at maths and good at Shakespeare is probably more expensive than just hiring the person who's good at Shakespeare or just the person who's good at maths. Um, so it seems that effectively because of this sort of optimization for cost, um, some sets of problems are resulting in worse performance at the moment. The, the interesting bit here is probably not that they're trying to do the optimization. The interesting bit is that if you're a company building on top of this technology, you don't know what the performance of your application or service is going to be in a few months' time because they don't announce these changes. Um, and suddenly something that worked very well last week doesn't work so well this week. Um, of course, the flip side can happen as well. It can get better as well as worse. And this sounds a lot like the stock market. It does. Anyway, talking about the stock market and mergers and acquisitions, the UK's Competitions and Market Authority, the CMA, has finally approved the Broadcom and VMware merger. And this is uh, very closely after the European Commission granted their approval, uh, literally a week before. And this will allow Broadcom to basically take over the VMware assets. Uh, it's an interesting merger, Broadcom being, of course, known for making networking hardware, VMware known as uh, one of the bigger hypervisor vendors, so the company that allow virtual machines to run uh, lots of instances of a of computing on one single box, but each instance not able to see the other instances. Of, of course, VMware was acquired by Dell, the computer and server manufacturer, back in 2015. They announced that they were spinning it out uh, just a couple of years ago, 20, uh, April 2021. Um, so it's uh, it's sort of been put out to uh, put, put out on its own, and uh, now found looks like it's found a new home in. Uh, yeah, and in and, and they went. They weren't the only ones that Dell were spinning out from acquisitions. Dell had bought quite a lot of uh, software companies. Yes. And, um, and certainly hardware, when, of course. when Michael uh, bought the company back uh, into private ownership, uh, he started getting rid of a lot of the software companies and selling them off uh, so that they could stand on their own and, and do quite well. And VMware was one. Another one was RSA, the security company as well. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, Tesla's, yes, the cars uh, might be getting cheaper again. Um, I uh, don't don't hold out too much hope here. Uh, ah. But uh, but but Tesla have, of course, cut their prices a number of times in uh, in recent months. Uh, 
effectively this is increased competition. Uh, Aha, I was going to say, is this because suddenly you you have more choice? Yep, and with a lot more companies making a lot more models of electric vehicle, um, Tesla as the choice of EV um, is becoming a much harder position to defend. So this is something that uh, Elon Musk, who is still Tesla's chief executive, as well as all the other things he does, um, has, uh, has warned in a, a stock market uh, call that they may have to consider further price cuts in order to keep the volumes up. You know, what they're really about is shipping lots of cars and that means they may be willing to, uh, to take a cut in the amount of profit they make on each one if it means they can sell more cars. And this does include the UK market as well as the US and China to compete with rival manufacturers. Uh, interesting. Watch uh, watch that one. And uh, if you're in the market for an EV, then uh, keep an eye on those prices. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about nothing and their phone too. Cambridge 105 Radio. Tuesday nights on Cambridge 105 Radio. Tony Della moves Cambridge to the beat of Northern Seoul. I'm going to say hi to local listener Andy Five Miller. Good evening, Andy. Not working on your Lambretta tonight, anyway. All the things I'm doing on Lambrettas and just taking my, my mind back to about the 60s and 70s when I used to have Vespers and Lambrettas. Those cables or something, or upkeep of some description needed doing. Good to hear from you, Andy. Northern Seoul with Tony Della. Tuesday nights at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. The all-new USA Chicken is now open on Milton Road with delicious fried chicken, tasty pizzas and mouth-watering doner kebabs. All freshly cooked on the premises. We're open midday to 10pm, Monday to Saturday and 3 to 10pm on Sunday. And we'll soon be offering a delivery service across Cambridge. Find us at 22 Milton Road near Mitcham's Corner and keep an eye out for us on social media. Leonardo Hotel Milton Keynes is giving one lucky winner the chance to win a two-night getaway with a friend, including breakfast both mornings. Located on Midsummer Boulevard, Leonardo Hotel Milton Keynes is the perfect choice for a weekend break, with 279 stylish and spacious rooms featuring the dream bed by Leonardo Hotels. We have an on-site stylish bar and restaurant, with just a five-minute walk from the train station and centrally located amongst all the main bars and restaurants. If you fancy a shopping trip, the Center MK and Midsummer Place are also within a five-minute walk. For the best rates, visit leonardohotels.co.uk and listen out for our competition question throughout the day here on Cambridge 105 Radio. Terms and conditions apply. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more where you're listening to The Gadget Guide with Rob and Lawrence. And now we're going to be talking about nothing and their phone too. Yep, it's probably one of the more confusing manufacturers. Interestingly, uh, it's almost exactly a year since we talked about nothing phone one. Yes. 25th of July last year, we talked about their first phone, which they brought to market. Android-based, effectively. They have taken the operating system and made it their own by tweaking and improving, well... Nothing OS improving the operating system a bit to cater for their hardware. Um, and yes, they've gone away for a year and come back with Phone 2. Yes, uh, their tagline is come to the bright side. And it's pretty obvious what that means because the, the Nothing Phone is an interesting design uh, because if you look at it from the side, it kind of looks like one of the 
iPhones from a few generations ago. Was it the iPhone 4 where uh, the, the antenna was sort of around the outside? You had to be a bit yep. careful. Um, looks a little bit like that from the side. Uh, nice metallic look. But if you look on the back, that is where it stands out. And that's what makes it look so different from most other phones. Uh, you can see all of the insides. Uh, yeah. All of the wireless charging, the cameras, and the glyph lights. And these are the things that probably make it the most unique. Yeah, I mean, it, it roughly forms a G-type shape across the back of the phone. There are curved bits and straight lines and angled bits and exclamation mark and little highlights around the camera lenses, which in phone two goes from a three distinct zones to 12 distinct phones in phone two, phone one being just the three, um, and a lot more addressability to these zones. Now, what they're doing with these zones is is notifications through interesting lighting patterns now i know samsung tried this with their edge lighting yep. on the galaxy range which and if if we go all the way back to the very first the nexus one that google launched one of yep. the very early android phones that had a little sort of trackball that could light up in different colors and you could say right these these applications notify in red these applications and in green. blackberry stole that idea with their blackberry pearl which had the little uh, ball that changed colors as well. So we've we've had the idea of color changing lights and so on to distinguish, you know, a phone call, a text message, an email, and so on. But what the glyphs allow the software providers to do is a lot more interesting things. And one of the ones I liked the the cleverest idea implementation was was if you've hailed a taxi with one of the rideshare applications, all of these things tell you how long before that vehicle yes. is going to be with you. But you keep looking at your phone and then getting sidetracked by the Social next media, yep. message, the next email, the next work thing, and suddenly your taxi's there. And yeah, um, what the glyphs can do is you could have one of the, the curved lines act as almost a bar graph. And as the taxi gets closer, the line gets shorter. And I could imagine that as a, a kitchen timer a as well. Timer or, yeah, anything where there is that sort of you know, duration or how far are we from whatever, and you could just have that as a a distance calculator, those sort of things. Their, their idea is taking you back into the real world by less distractions. So notifications yep. that are only really relevant to stop you having all of that screen time glued to the phone and possibly being sidetracked half the time. Uh, and a lot of the 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 sort of the launch buzz is around this customization, isn't it? Is yeah, there's some of it's out the out the box. Yeah, you get a little bar graph on those backlights uh, for how how charged your battery is once you know, once you plug your phone in. Uh, but really, it is about like for me, I am interested in these things. You might be interested in something else. I might care about Telegram. You might care about WhatsApp. We can both customize that to to make it right for us. Yes, and their whole idea is that this is an open platform for software providers and app makers to come up with cool ideas and things that they can do using the glyphs. So that is basically their main unique selling point, but they have done a lot of work on the design of the phone. It apparently feels a lot more premium. Done a little bit of subtle things like the, the back glass, which, yes, might be see-through, so you can see those innards, is slightly beveled around the edges, so it feels nice in the hand. Lots of work on tactile uh, feel. 
The whole thing is glass and, and recycled aluminium. So they've been working on their green credentials to a big degree to, to basically make sure there's no plastics or unnecessary plastics and that they are using those recycled materials to, to really help with the, the environmental impact of electronic waste these days. I did notice, which was slightly curious, in, in the display, it's a 6.7-inch six screen, and they advertise it as a 6.7-inch flexible AMOLED display. Now, yes. the, pho- the phone itself doesn't fold up. It's not doing a, a Samsung. No, uh, that's, but that's, I, I wonder if they've sort of put that slight flexibility in of a, like, we don't expect you to fold no, it, no, but it's it, not going to break. It's so that they could get the display closer to the edges. Ah, so you ah, just go around the, those bevels. You, you basically bend it uh, around to the edges so that you can get those those edges and, be- and bezels around the, the screen very, very small. Yeah. By effectively bending the screen right up to the edge. Uh, a couple of other clever things on the display. The display has a refresh rate that is 1 hertz to 120 hertz. Ah, so it's going to slow it down, save battery. So your lock screen runs at 1 hertz. So it updates once a second. That's on, av- on average, half the battery draw of most competing phones with a lock screen that shows something on the lock screen. Uh, Your lock screen doesn't need to be that fast refresh rate. What are you going to see? The time. The time only updates once a minute. So that's a 0.6 hertz. Um, You know, you don't need that that fast, slick, smooth refresh rate. But when you launch an app that's uh, possibly a game or you just are browsing around and you get that nice, butter, smooth feel of scrolling... 120 hertz kicks in. Obviously, that uses a bit more power, but they've done a lot of work on the IC that actually feeds the screen and have managed to shave another 30% off the battery consumption of the screen overall. Very good. Of course, with any modern mobile phone, we also care about the cameras. Uh, It's got fewer cameras than some of its uh, competitors, but they have sort of focused on making those that do exist very high quality. So three cameras total. There's two on the back, one on the front uh, facing you. Um, The two on the back are both 50 megapixel. Um, So often... Sony sensors. Yeah, often you'll sort of see one, uh, I think my... Uh, my current phone has sort of got one forty-two megapixel, and then a couple of sort of twelves and eights and that sort of thing. So there, they're going for two fifty megapixels um, facing away from you. Uh, one of those is ultra wide angle for for getting those nice sort of uh, wide shots, or where you can't quite get the distance. The other one of which is your standard uh, standard lens, and then a thirty-two megapixel front facing camera. So that's the selfie camera. Obviously, those went from something a few years ago, where it was just a sort of basic, yeah, you can kind of see you good enough for a video call, to actually a really important camera, and hence the the 32 megapixel camera there. A lot of work, as with any modern phone, in the the software image processing that goes with the cameras is not just about what the lens is. That front camera is a Sony sensor, the back main camera is a Sony sensor. Interestingly, the ultra-wide camera is a Samsung sensor. Uh, interesting. Samsung for that, because Samsung have done a lot of work in good capturing of night and low-light environments. So where you're going to use the ultra-wide is normally those night shots and get a great picture without graininess. Uh, in terms of price, it's coming in somewhere between five hundred and sixty-nine and six hundred ninety-nine pound. Let's call it seven hundred. Uh, six six hundred thirty is what gets you the middle of the range model. So that's twelve gigabytes of RAM and two hundred fifty-six gigabytes of storage. Um, Compare that to Samsung's Galaxy S twenty-three, 
same similar or similar spec, 256 gigs of storage is £900. Yep. So they are, I, I would say they are, they're definitely not at the budget end of uh, the range. Coming in a little more than, so if you look at something like the Google Pixel 7a that we talked about recently, um, that's sitting around about the kind of four or £500 mark, depending on what model you go for. Um, and as you say, things like the, uh, the the latest from Samsung and indeed the iPhone pushing up more towards that £1,000 mark. So they're, they're sort of sitting in the in the mid-range of the market, a very competent phone. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to get a hands-on one and actually have a play with it. Um, you know, everything that they're saying in, in the launch video is, is certainly looking very impressive. I guess as a relatively new uh, entrant to the market, only been around a couple of years, you know, what's the phone like in everyday use? Does it does it stack up to the promise? I'd, I'd certainly be very, uh, very interested to try one. Interesting, of course, the founder is X1+. Plus. Yes, and, yeah, one plus of course that idea of premium phones without the premium price tag yeah one plus of course less uh less prevalent in the uk market now uh than they were a few years ago they they sort of went through this they they started off very uh very cheap then the prices sort of crept up they came back down a bit with the nord they've now decided to uh to focus on uh on different markets so uh i think that the the nothing is is certainly a, a strong contender if you uh uh, if you're looking for something a little bit different, uh, it's not going to just be uh, yet another, he says, picking his phone up, uh, black bar with a screen on it. Um, you're certainly going to stand out. Interesting for a new manufacturer that they are, they haven't changed drastically from the phone one to the phone two. So they are going for the, we're sort of getting a little bit of an iconic look yes. to ourselves because they are so different with the, the black slab but it's a black slab that looks different. Um, so they have said, you know, as a new manufacturer, we could go totally out the box and come up with something quite wacky, but we think we're building an icon to start yes. with and something that people will be able to see from a distance and go, that's a nothing phone. Yeah, yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, so that's the nothing phone. Um, and uh, well, it's, it's just been uh, just been sort of announced and launched. I, I guess we, we need to keep uh, our eye on order it from nothing.tech yeah keep our eye on when we uh, spot the first ones floating around cambridge it's probably going to be pretty obvious <laughs> when they do uh, when they do hit the streets um but like i say if you uh, if you hear about one maybe you get one uh, then i would love to uh, love to know what it's like in real life that's about all we've got time for on the Gadget Guide today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode. Uh, meanwhile, coming up after the news at 7, it's Les Ray with Strummers and Dreamers. Goodbye for now. Cambridge 105 Radio.